scripture lesson today comes from the gospel according to St. Luke. Uh, Let's share in God's good word together. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Born of the Virgin Mary. That doesn't sound right. Have you ever wondered about that? What exactly, how that works? You and I, when we think about born of the Virgin Mary, we often will wonder how, how, so is it like Mary has the egg and so is it like, how does this work? Well, we're going to get there in just a minute, but that's not how the first church would have thought about that at all, right? It wasn't about biology. It was about mystery and the theology that God himself had come in perfection and someone unequaled. All time would be known by it before Christ and after Christ. Well, my name is Mark Foster. I'm founding senior pastor here, and I'm so glad to be with you. We are in week three of what we believe, what Christians believe, and why. Now, if you're following along in the book Creed, you would expect us to be talking about the Holy Spirit, but I started on Jesus last week, and it's just too much to talk about Jesus doing one week. So it's now two weeks. So you're on the second half of us talking about Jesus. Last week we talked about Jesus Christ's only Son, our Lord. And this week we'll talk about his life as accounted in the Creed. And so you may say, well, why are we spending so much time about what we believe? Well, one thing is there's a lot of misinformation out there about what Christians believe. And so we want to make sure that you know and we know and we declare what we believe. And we say this each week in worship if you're on time. We come in here, it's one of the first things we do. And so uh, many of our children, they'll know this. Um, and here's, here's the reason it's important. Because, friends, there will be a new king, Jesus. And he will put the world back into proper order. The voice that calls for justice will be answered at last. Jesus has come to make all things new. And there will be a day in your life where everything's going to be made right. And we celebrate that. Will you read this one thing? There will be a new king. And he will put the world back into proper order. The voice that calls for justice will be answered at last. That's great news, friends. So our dream here at Acts 2 is tied to God the Father. It's to create a people who see, say it with me if you know it. To sing God's praises, serve God's children, and share God's salvation until Christ comes again. We do believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and of earth. And, and this same God is going to be tied and, and will give us the beautiful, wonderful King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Messiah, the Christ. Husto Gonzalez, the, the great historian uh, and, and biblical scholar, says the anointed one or Messiah for which Israel longed, right, for 400 years uh, in Egypt and then, and, then, and, then, and, then, and then Jesus comes, right, would restore and even surpass the kingdom of David, the greatest kingdom they'd ever known. It would destroy the enemies of God, all of them, and of Israel, and would bring about a new order of peace and justice. That's what we're looking for. And, and we learned in week one that if God is Father... 
right? Then all of us are brothers and sisters, and that's good news. Brothers and sisters, we all matter to God, and we ought to matter to one another. The way we treat one another is super important. And, and you may not know this, but every church is meant to be a little enclave of heaven, a little example of what heaven is like. So that if this was a person's first time ever to go to church, what they should see here, what the expectation is, that we love each other so well, we serve each other so faithfully, we give into each other's lives in, in such a powerful way that people are like, I want to be a part of that. I would never want to not be a part of that. That's what we are to be. The, the very peace of heaven on earth that Christ has come. And if God is almighty, all powerful and everywhere, then you and I, we are never alone. And ultimately safe in God's good kingdom. Great news. So our goal then, uh, so that's God the Father, and and our goal then is tied to Christ. And and again, if you know this, say it with me. Our goal is to help non-religious and non-active Christians become radical Christ followers. Well, what is Christ? Well, Well, Christ is the only Son of God, our Lord. And of course, the, the, the main thing is it's not just, he's not just a Lord, or not just even the Lord, but the question is, is he your Lord? Are you in relationship with him? It's not just do you know about Jesus, but do you know him? Do you serve him? Do you trust him? Do you trust him? So this word Christ is the Greek equivalent to Messiah in Hebrew. It's the same word. So in some parts of the Bible, it'll say Messiah. In other parts, uh, it's going to say Christ, just depending on whether it was written in Hebrew or in Greek. And it means the anointed one, God's chosen king, the supreme ruler, um, the highest of the, of the high. There's, there's nothing greater than the Messiah. And this Jesus of Nazareth, right, the, in this tiny little town where people say, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's like, really? It's just a little nowhere place. And yes, Jesus of Nazareth, a very real person, was and is God's chosen king for God's kingdom that never ends and has no boundaries. And, and for this is super important. And we talk about God, we talk about God's kingdom, God's will, that when we talk about this kingdom... It never ends. And that doesn't mean eternity just from now forward. It means all time, right? Forever. It means all time, forwards and backwards. And that's an important concept that you hold on to, right? As linear people, we kind of think we're so self-centric that we think about ourselves when we're born in eternities that way. No. Eternity existed before you were born. So it's all time. And that's super important. And not only that, but this Jesus is God's only son. It is a unique relationship Adam Hamilton in his book Creed says it like this. Jesus is not just a son of God, but the son of God. Only one. It's a unique relationship. And Jesus did things that ordinary people can do. This is how we know that Jesus is the Messiah. Because he did things that no one else could do. He would heal the sick and, and the lame would walk and the blind would see and the deaf would hear and the mentally ill would be put back right into their minds. And even those who were struggling with demons, the demons would flee because God had showed up in Jesus. And then we have to decide, will Jesus be our Lord? The most important decision you'll ever make in all your life, for all eternity, forwards and backwards. So here's the thing. We don't refer to Jesus as a Lord, but the Lord, all capitals. And that's important because this is, and I'll, I'll tell you this in just a second, but, but the reason it's in, in all capitals has a very specific reason. The same title used for Yahweh. And so Yahweh was a name, right, that you could not write or say in the Hebrew scriptures. And so you have to decide, well, how do we let people know what we're talking about? So they, choosed, uh, they chose the, the word Lord, but not just Lord like we would say it normally, but Lord in all capitals. So when you're reading in your Bible and you see Lord, it's, it's small, but it's in all caps, you know that that is a way of saying Yahweh without saying it because they're trying to honor the tradition there. 
So the most important question for you and me is, is Jesus my Lord or am I? In Jesus' day, in the first uh, church, they really struggled because it was a matter of life and death, whether they're going to say Caesar uh, is Lord or Jesus is Lord. And it was a matter of life and death. Because to say Jesus is Lord meant that Caesar was not. And that was something that they would kill you for in Rome. But we don't really struggle with that, do we? I mean, it doesn't really matter to us whether Jesus is Lord or Caesar is Lord. Nobody, nobody's going to arrest you for that. But the question is daily, who sits on the throne? Is it Jesus or is it you? Because most of us don't struggle with Caesar, but we do struggle with me, myself, and I. Those three we do struggle with. And we have to make that choice every day when we wake up. Jesus, you're my Lord. I'll do what you want me to do. Or Jesus, I'm the Lord. Help me out. I got a job interview. Or I got this, or my kid's off page. I'm the Lord and you're helping me. You see the difference? It's a big difference. And a lot of people think they worship Jesus when what they're really asking is Jesus to worship them. Which is completely backwards. Now, is the Lord willing to help you? Of course he is, because he loves you. But make no mistake, he calls the shots. He says what's good. He says what's right. And we're asking for us to get aligned with him, not for him to get aligned with us. Because then you're the Lord. And, I, and that's just messed up. You see, this is really important. You get this. For Jesus to be Lord, it means he's in charge. Whatever Jesus says goes. Because, and say this with me, there will be a new king, and he will put the world back into proper order. The voice that calls for justice will be answered at last. This is the Jesus that we serve. And so, this week, we're going to look in detail about this Jesus, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. David Pageant of our church, who sits right here on the front row at 915, um, when we opened up the, uh, the first building, in, the chapel building in 2006, we wanted the children to, to be able to learn the creed, even if they couldn't read yet. And so what David did was he um, painted different sections of the Apostles' Creed. So here's David, a, a great painter. Many of you all know him. And so if you were to go over the chapel today, or, or really any time, you would see a, a description of the Annunciation. With the Holy Spirit coming to Mary. It's, it's on this side of the chapel. It was a beautiful thing that would surround me uh, as we would preach in that first uh, church. There's now the chapel. And in the second panel, it is Mary and the baby Jesus. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And the thing is, we can get really caught up around the biology of it. But that's to misunderstand what's going on. I, if, you, if you think about it, right, they couldn't have been thinking of it biologically because the scientific components of sexual reproduction, they weren't even discovered until the 1600s. They didn't even know about the different pieces. They didn't know about an ovum until 1660 or 1670. In between 1660 and 1670, they were doing this sort of scientific work. So when the church said, born of the Virgin Mary, they, they weren't running a science experiment. But it is important that we know what they were doing. Husto Gonzalez writes, For early Christians, the virgin birth was simply the culmination of the ancient theme of the barren woman who conceives. And if you, if you know your Bible, you'll see this over and over and over and over again. What is intended by it is not to explain Jesus' biological origin, but rather to make it plain that just as in past times, God raised leaders for Israel out of barren women who conceived by divine intervention. That's the deal, right? God's up to something. Now the barren woman, per excellence, a virgin, conceived by divine intervention. So Jesus is the culmination, the perfection of what God is doing. He's bringing the Messiah to the world. And they knew that because he was bringing the Messiah through a virgin, which had been prophesied. 
And then, moreover, the child will bear, will, will not only be exceptional, but unequaled. That's the thing we know about Jesus. No one else like him. Unique. The son of the Most High, whose kingdom will have no end. No end. And again, that no end is really important. We'll get there in just a second. So if you know the answers to these, you're a really great biblical scholar. So the early church did know of Sarah. Who did Sarah have? She was barren, couldn't have, was really super old, and then she had a child. Who, what child did she have? Isaac, yes, right? And then Isaac and Rebekah, right? Rebekah was barren, and then who did they have? Jacob and Esau, right? And then Jacob and Rachel had a son. Rachel was barren, and, and who did they have? Oh, it gets harder, doesn't it? Joseph, who was the perfect ruler, did everything right, looked right, smelled right, did the right thing every time. Joseph was what God wanted us to be like. Always good, always right. And then Hannah, right? Hannah, who, who did she give birth to? Samuel, the first prophet that would then anoint King David. And then as you move into the New Testament, we have Elizabeth. And, and we know that she had John the Baptist. And, and, and that John the Baptist would say that Jesus is coming. Of course, Mary then, unlike all the others in that same line, but unlike them, a virgin, because Jesus, the Messiah, was coming unequaled. And so to give you a sense of this, uh, those of you, you may have just kind of read over it in your Bibles, but in Genesis 25, right, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, conceived. That's how it would work. And everybody's like, oh, wait, hold on, God's up to something. That next person that's about to be born is going to be important to the people of God. They're going to do something special that other sort of ordinary people would not do. And the creed affirms that the birth of Jesus is unique and that it is real. And this is super important because there is a huge controversy at that time uh, by folks known as Marcionites. And, and it's hard for us to get our minds around. When we think of the virgin birth, we struggle with a human being divine. They didn't. They didn't. There were gods all over the place. They talked about that all the time. If it flooded, it was a god uh, like Neptune. If it was drought, it was the god of the sun, Ra. Or, I mean, they were, they were used to people, uh, you know, gods being around them. What they, didn't, what they didn't believe in was that a god could be human. They did not believe that. And so you'll see much of what I'm going to talk about today, all of it's really tied to about Jesus being human. Because people just didn't believe it. They're like, that can't be. No God would come through a birth canal. That's just gross and, and humiliating. And, and no God would choose that. No God would choose to go to the cross. No God would do what Jesus did. You think about it, it would blow your mind. And so the church worked and worked and worked and worked and said, no, God chose to come through Mary for the salvation of the world, for you and for me and for all time. They really struggled with that. The virgin's conception serves to prove not the divinity of Jesus, as we might surmise, but rather his humanity. What Marcion could not accept is the fact that Jesus was born. A birth is a sign of powerlessness. For the newly born is totally dependent on others, and the creed affirms that Jesus underwent it. The next thing, after, after you know, we're like, hey, Jesus is human, Jesus is human, Jesus is human. This is what makes him able to save us and, you know, know us right? 100% human, 100% divine. That's what we claim. Not half and half, not three quarters and a quarter, right? Not a third, two thirds. It's fully God, fully human. That's what we believe. And one of the ways we know about this God Almighty who is also human, right? The Messiah, the King, the Christ, 
is about Pontius Pilate. Now, when I was younger, and if you know the Passion story, you're like, why Pilate? I mean, he's not necessarily the worst of the worst. I mean, he actually tried to help Jesus get free, and people wouldn't listen to him. Why are they picking on Pilate? Poor Pilate. Well, no, it's not about that at all. It's simply that the phrase centered under Pontius Pilate, it's used as a way to know a specific date in history. Right? And so they didn't have a calendar the way we have a calendar. And so kind of think back in your family system like now. Now, when did Uncle Bob die? Oh, you know, the Johnson administration. And that was a president earlier in our history. <laughs> right? And so, that, oh, that, okay, so that's, that's when he died. In the same way, the Bible would do this over and over again. So Jesus died at the time that Pontius Pilate right, was there. And so everybody, oh, okay, that's when it was. The Bible does this all the time. If you look back in Isaiah, for example, it's in the year that King Uzziah died. And everybody goes, oh, okay, that, that's when that was, the same time that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, the hem of his robe filled the temple. This is the way it was. And of course, if you've been here at Christmas time, you know Luke, right? This was the first registration when, taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And they knew when that was. That's when Jesus was born, right? And, and by the way, this is one of those scriptures where the staff's like, who's going to say it? it? Quirinius is not easy to say from the pulpit, uh, nor is Ephrathah. Anyway, that's just behind the scenes. I thought you'd want to know that. So, so here's the thing. Other gods of the time were thought to come in cycles or seasons, floods or drought, but Jesus came once. So over and again, there, it's like everybody knows these gods, right? The flood god comes every year at the state fair, right? It's always going to rain. We know this, right? That, that's how it is. It's over and over and over again. That's, that's how this happens. And they're like, no. And, and so that, that's what they thought, right? So the God that was mad at them, the flood God came, or the drought God in the summertime, that's just how, we, how they knew. And they're like, no, no, no. It's not like that. Jesus is different than all the other gods. He came once by a woman. We know where he lived. We know when he died. We know when he rose. And he came again, and he's the Messiah, different than anyone else. And we know that he died a horrific death on the cross. We know this. We know when. We know where, and we know how it went down. Huso Gonzalez says this phrase, was crucified, dead, and buried, was stated to counteract misinformation circulating at the time that Jesus did not really suffer because he wasn't really human. You get this? If he's not really human, he didn't suffer. It was just a play. He was just acting like, oh, it really hurts because I'm an alien. Right? This, this is kind of their thinking. Like He has to be human to make the cross make sense. He didn't really suffer or die because his body was heavenly incorruptible if, if even real maybe he was just an apparition maybe he's just a really cool ghost maybe he's a hologram and, and the church says no that wouldn't do at all if our god didn't come and suffer then he doesn't know who we are he doesn't know what life is like and god does because of the humanity of jesus so for those early christians to affirm that their lord was crucified would be as scandalous as for us today to affirm the faith in a person who died in the electric chair can you imagine? We say, well, the person we follow is the guy that the state executed last week. That would be scandalous. But that's what they were doing. What the creed actually affirms is that the Lord, Yahweh, the Messiah, the Christos, the Kyrios, whom Christians follow even in preference to the emperor, died like a common criminal under Roman law. You can see why people didn't believe it. I mean, it's a very hard concept. Unless... You happen to be Jewish, and the prophets had foretold this all along, and you knew this was coming all along, and you've been waiting for it all your life, and your parents' life, and your grandparents' life, and your great-grandparents' life. Because what Christians were actually, actually saying 
in reciting this creed was that the empire killed Jesus as a seditious man claiming to be king of the Jews, but it had actually crucified the king of the universe. That is a statement. They didn't just kill some guy. They didn't just kill the king of the Jews or the king of this nation, the king of Syria, the king of Iraq, Iran, or Babylon, or however it is. No, they killed the king of all. But you can't really kill the king of all, can you? No, God raised him up. And, and now we come to a piece that's, that's a little problematic in Methodist circles, and that is the phrase that, that is now in the ecumenical circles and has been around since about the 8th century, is descended to hell. We don't say that on Sunday mornings. And, and you want to know why? Because we don't cuss in church. No, that's not why. We don't say it because our founder, John Wesley, actually was a great scholar. And he studied the early church fathers on the eastern side. And what he found out was, yes, the Apostles' Creed was super old, the earliest. And it has, um, even before the Nicene Creed, because it's the very pieces of it started as a Roman creed. And then it became the Apostles' Creed. But this piece that descended into hell didn't come until about the 6th to 8th century. And Wesley knew that. A lot of people didn't know that. And so he chose for Methodists not to say this part because it wasn't always a part of the creed. He wanted to make it as traditional as possible. This is what we know it is. Now, scholars will also tell you that, that John Wesley absolutely believed that Jesus descended into hell. He just chose not to put it in for Methodists to follow. That may be, seem like an aside, but it's, it's going to be super important for lots of reasons. And, and the primary reason is that Jesus' salvation is for all people and all time. Again, all time goes forwards and backwards, right? Super important. Because when it says, when the Bible says Jesus ascended, what does it mean, Paul writes to the folks in Ephesus, that he had also descended into lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. So Paul writes about this. Another place in the Bible. For Christ also suffered, right? For sins, once for all, the righteous, for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, right, making that clear, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, right, descended to the dead, to hell. Who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark. Now, even today, I'll, I'll get that, like confirmation students, youth groups, other, time, other people, like, how can you believe in a God that would let all these people drown and die? How, come, you know, how could you believe in somebody that, that God couldn't save them? Well, God did save them. God saved them in Jesus Christ. Every person that died before Jesus Christ had the opportunity to be with Christ and, and be in heaven with him for all time. Now, there, there's a lot to that. One is that Jesus can find you anywhere. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing that can happen that Jesus can't redeem. That you need to know and to claim. This is super important, friends. Jesus is the Savior of all time. No time boundaries, no geographical boundaries, no boundaries. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. And it was traditional Jewish belief that the souls of the dead went to a place below the earth. Not hell as we know about it. Dante's Inferno did, did a lot of disservice to the world. They didn't understand it that way. The way they understood it was, according to the Pharisees, they were simply there to await the final resurrection. So it wasn't a place of torment. It was a place of waiting. It was just a place of waiting. You would go under the earth. Now, there are other places in the Bible, like Gehenna and, and other, other things that were tied to certain locations. But this was the concept they understood, that when you died, you went under the earth, you, know, you were buried, and you stayed there until the Messiah came. 
Now, let's talk about this for a second, because like, well, that seems terrible, trapped underground for thousands of years. Well, yes, that would be terrible, except, do you all ever sleep? Do you go to sleep? Sure you do. Do you ever wake up? Sure you do. How long is it from the time you go to sleep to the time you wake up? How do you know? Do you know? No, you have no idea. That's why you always look at your clock. Or you see if the sun's up. Or you see where the moon is. You're like, what time is it? How long have I been asleep? Am I late for work or whatever it is? Right? You don't know. When you sleep, you sleep. And what the scriptures tell us and what we know is that we all go to sleep. And we wake up to Christ. We wake up to the Messiah, the beautiful face of Jesus, the Messiah, the one that can go anywhere. So when these people go to sleep in Christ, they rise in Christ. So the time frame makes no difference. Because to them, it's all the same. It doesn't matter whether you're asleep for five minutes or five million years. You wake up to the love and grace of Jesus. And this is important because when Jesus goes to the tomb, right? We know he's human. We see him die. He's placed in this tomb. And then he rises again. And, and this descending into hell gave the early church, that's how they understood what Jesus was doing. Well, what was Jesus doing Friday night and Saturday until Sunday morning? He was saving the world because that's what he does. Because he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. So he dies. He goes down and saves everybody in hell. And so that we know that's who he is and what he does, he comes up and lets us know about it too. So the third day he rose from the dead. It means that death died, that Jesus killed death itself. And we share in the resurrection. Super, super important. You and I, we're Easter people. It all hinges on this. And, and Paul says as much to the early church in Corinth. He says, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Say it with me. Death has been swallowed up in victory. This is Easter, right? This is Easter. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. And then we get to he ascended into heaven. It's not just that Jesus rose and walked around for 40 days, right? And then, and, and lots of people saw him, and he wasn't a ghost. He ate fish. It didn't fall through him, right? He could be over in Jerusalem. He could also be at Emmaus. He could be up at Galilee, Right? Way faster than you could ever get there by foot. He just would appear because he was both God and human. He could do all of that. Right? So he ascended into the heaven, the great ascension, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Jesus is in charge now. Christ returns to his point of departure, which is heaven. Well, what is heaven? You know this. Heaven is where what God wants done is done. It's not a place. It's a way of being. So Jesus, who comes from God, is going back to God to reign with God always it's not about going up and sitting on some fluffy toilet paper cloud with a harp that you see on the commercials that's not like that at all what it is is a place where everything's right everything's perfect everything's true and everything is the way god wants it to be including those that have gone before us and those that will come after us so christ returns to his point of departure it goes full circle and he ascends to be with his father and to continue their work, their good work, their salvation work, to make things right. Shalom, where there's nothing missing, nothing broken. Right? And then, then the creed says, Thence he, Jesus, shall come to judge the quick, the living, and the dead. And this means that everything will be in its proper place. Friends, and I know this, this may be hard for some of you that grew up in different traditions. Judgment, the judgment, is not about punishment. It's not. It's about justice. The judgment is about justice, about Jesus making everything right because he's the perfect, loving judge. And so if, if, if you're like me, there are things in your life that not, did not go your way. And it wasn't right. It wasn't just. You know it. Other people know it. But most of the world does not know it. 
When you come to Judgment Day, everybody sees it clearly. And you can celebrate. You will have been vindicated. Everybody will know that you did your best. Everybody will know why you made the decisions you made. Everyone will know that you, know, that you don't have to be judged on the worst day of your life. Thanks to Jesus. Right? He's going to judge the living and the dead. But it's not about punishment. It's about justice. And for anybody who's been underneath justice and it's never come to them, it will come on this day. And that's great news. Why? Because, say it with me, there will be a new king and he will put the world back into proper order. That's what Jesus does. The voice that calls for justice will be answered at last. And if you've ever needed justice and you've cried out for it and not gotten it and cried out and not gotten it and cried out and not gotten it, you know how important this is. This gives us hope. We have a God of justice. Now, it's also true that if I was somebody who knew that I was intentionally oppressing other people, you ought to be really nervous. Because that, that justice is coming to you too. Right? So, I mean, you, you do have to be sober about this. But unless you're intentionally doing the wrong thing, unless you're intentionally going against Christ, this is great news for you. Great news for you. So why does this matter? Because Jesus is the perfect expression of who God is. Right? The exact imprint that the Bible tells us. What God is like, what God's will is for our lives. People will say to me sometimes, Pastor Mark, I don't know God's will for me. I'm like, yes, you do. You do. Jesus says it very clearly. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. That's it. That's what you do. That's, that's first. And second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's God's will for you. It is. That's it. And Jesus says everything else hangs on these two things. Love of God, love of neighbor. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul elaborates that in the New Testament. Does it matter where you work? Maybe, maybe not. Do you love God? Do you love your neighbor there? Does, does it matter where you live? Maybe, maybe it does. If you can love God there and you can love your neighbor there. All the things in your life, it comes down to do you love God and do you love neighbor? Are you doing that? Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Are you serving him? That's God's will for your life. And if Jesus is Christ, the Messiah, then Jesus is the person God has chosen to reign on God's behalf. God calls the shots. Jesus calls the shots. And if Jesus is the only son, then Jesus has a special and unique relationship with God like no other. Only he. Only Jesus. The unique son of God. And if Jesus is our Lord, then we live in the unshakable kingdom. The unshakable kingdom of God with the unshakable king. This is great news because Jesus is in charge. And if Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, then the uniqueness of Jesus' birth, right? It makes Jesus Lord of all, not like the others. And the reality of the birth makes Jesus like one of us, claims his humanity. And if Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, and we know he did and we know when, then we know the when and where of Jesus' death and resurrection, and if you've been to, the, the, you know, to Israel with me or on a different trip, you, know, you can walk exactly there. You can go exactly where Jesus walked from the Mount of Olives. You can go exactly on the Via Dolorosa and, and, and walk the way of suffering. You can go to the Antonia Fortress. You can go where he was de- killed at the place of the crucifixion and where he rose. And if Jesus was actually crucified, dead, and buried, then Jesus was really human. He really was. He wasn't pretending. He really was fully God and fully human, which gives him an ability to save us. And if Jesus descended into hell, there's no place in heaven or on earth or under the earth where Jesus cannot find you and save you. Don't ever forget this, friends. I've seen some terrible things done in the name of Jesus around this. 
I've actually known people who were told that their son or daughter was going to go to hell because they died before they said a certain phrase around salvation or they took their own life. And they actually had people, well-meaning people, tell them that, and I don't know how that can be well-meaning, but they told them that their child was, was in hell. I, I can't think of anything more cruel. And that's not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is, even if your kid does go to hell, Jesus is going to find them. Right? If he can go back to the time of Noah, he can find your kid. He's going to find you wherever you are. That's how good Jesus is. That's how powerful Jesus is. Don't let anybody tell you that Jesus can't do something because we don't think he can or because somebody told you he can't. Jesus can do whatever Jesus wants to because he's Lord. If, he, if that's not true, then he's not Lord. You get it? He's Lord. Jesus can do whatever he wants to do. And so here's the thing. It's great news. Sometimes I have to do funerals for people that are terrible. I'm counting on this. I'm counting on it. I don't tell people how bad they are. I'm like, no, Jesus can find them. And people say, well, what about that? I'm like, Jesus knows their address. And if they want to be with Jesus, then they can be with Jesus. Because he invites everybody to his table. We see that over and over again. You're invited to the table. Now, there are some knuckleheads that are not going to want to come. Because they're arrogant or they're unforgiving. And they're not going to sit by so-and-so. And you don't have to. But you're invited. Everybody's invited. You get this? Important. Everybody's invited. So if Jesus descends into heaven and to hell, both, anywhere, he can save you. Save anybody you're worried about. So this descent into hell is much more than mere consequences of death. It is more than an opportunity for Jesus to preach to those who are awaiting his coming. And it is an essential part of his work of salvation. For it is through this descent that Jesus enters the very headquarters of evil, of hell itself, in order to destroy its power. Jesus kills death. Jesus kills evil. Jesus overcomes by doing this because Jesus is that good. And if Jesus on the third day rose from the dead, then we will live with him forever. And this is absolutely at the crux of our faith. And Paul says, if this isn't true, then it is a waste of time. He says this to the early church in Corinth. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain. And your faith has been in vain. Friends, we are Easter people. But then he says, read it with me. But in fact, Christ has been raised. Say it with me again. Christ has been raised. That's the whole thing. From the dead. First fruits who've died. For since death came through a human being, the first Adam, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being, Jesus. For all die, as Adam did, so all will be made alive in Christ. That's the good news. Because we're Easter people. And if Jesus ascended into heaven, and he does absolutely sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, then since heaven is not a place... Heaven is where God's power breaks into the world, where what God wants done is done. Jesus is still with us working for our good, always, always working for your good. So if you didn't get that job, celebrate, because Jesus was saving you from something bad. Right? And if your super cool boyfriend breaks up with you, give thanks, because that wasn't going to be good. Right? Give, Paul writes this, give thanks to God in all things. Because if Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead, then all wrongs will be righted. Say this with me. All wrongs will be righted. That's, where, that's what happens in heaven. All wrongs are righted. That's great news. Brother Stendhal Rast says it like this. We must distinguish justice from revenge. It's not. Judging does not mean punishing, but setting things right. That's what God does. He sets things right. In the creed, judging means establishing divine wisdom and compassion as the principle of a new world order. Everything's new because of Jesus. So this whole creed, 
that we claim every Sunday was a clear statement of what it means to believe in this God, not just that there is a God, but in to trust this God who rules the universe, to trust in this Son who is crucified as a common criminal, and to trust in the Spirit that we'll talk about next week who makes believers participants in the death and resurrection of that convicted criminal. Why? Say it one more time with me. Because there will be a new king, and he will put the world back into proper order. The voice that calls for justice will be answered at last. At last. At last. Thanks be to God. So what do you do with this? How, how do you know more about this? How do you know about this Jesus? And it's not just that we want to know about him. We want to know him. But if you really are, love someone, you want to know about them, don't you? You want to know about them. And you can. You can read the 16 chapters of the Gospel of Mark this week. It will take you less than an hour. I know this because uh, the Lord woke me up one night. I happened to be at St. Simon's Island in Georgia where John Wesley came uh, over from England where he preached. And so I thought it'd be cool. I just felt led to get up and go and actually preach um, where John Wesley preached. And so it was about 2, 3 in the morning. And I was like, well, I, I don't know what to preach, but it was completely empty. So I just opened my Bible and I read my favorite gospel because it's named after me. The gospel of John Mark. All right? And I read it, 16 chapters. I read it out loud to an empty church, and it took me less than 40 minutes. So if I can read out loud in the middle of the night for 40 minutes, you can read it in less than an hour if you're just reading it to yourself. You can go quickly. You can know the whole story, and everything you need to know for salvation is in those 16 chapters. Everything. Everything. It's the first written. Matthew and Luke come off of that, right? The first thing is Mark. You can read it this week, and you can know more about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God's only Son, our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he's enough and that he can find us and everyone we love wherever we are. We thank you for that, how good and powerful and right you are. We thank you that you're a God of justice, that you make things right, even in the midst of a dark and hurting world. And when we even forget how to pray, we thank you for teaching us even that by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.